the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. AM 970 presents Eye on Real Estate. This is your premier source for real estate information. From the hot properties in the tri-state to the latest in real estate market trends. From mortgage news to answers to all of your real estate questions, you'll be in the know with help from the experts. Call now, 866-970-9622. 866-970-9622. Now, here's your host for Eye on Real Estate, Douglas Elliman's CEO, Dottie Herman. Good morning. This is Jerry Feeney sitting in for Dottie Herman, who's away, but she'll be back next week. I'm here with Ace Watana Suparp, and this is Ion Real Estate, talking about real estate. Everything has to do with real estate, which, as Dottie says, includes just about everything. So we're happy to have with us this morning a Hugh Chrysler. Good morning, Hugh. Good morning. Your radio debut. Or Good morning, your, Hugh. Uh, Good morning. So Hugh is... Uh, let me just give our listeners a little background. He was an engineer, uh, and he went to uh, Manhattan College. Um, he used to be a boiler inspector for the city of New York. Uh, he's a licensed uh, engineer in the, in the state of New York, which, if you don't know, is a really hard thing to get. Uh, so obviously he's very smart. Um, as somebody who did horrible in engineering school before I finally switched and uh, pursued law, I will tell you that engineering people that that get degrees in engineering are really smart people so uh he's the founder of Hugh chrysler engineering and provides architectural services for residential commercial industrial and he also expedites things uh Hugh, welcome to the show i've always been fascinated with this industry in new york city of expediters which lawyers love expediters because you know people think that uh, lawyers know everything about the law and code and everything like that and as i tell people when it comes to the Department of Buildings, we look at it as this magical black box. And uh, if you want to get into and out of that magical black box, you call someone like Hugh, who will get the whole thing done and approved and tell you what you can do. And they do it magically. And we don't really know how you guys do it, but you do it. So thank you for doing all that, Hugh. You're very welcome. Tell the listeners, what, what is an expediter? I mean, really, what what do you what does an expediter do? Okay. a um, An expediter is a... A, li- a licensed, registered um, individual that is mm-hmm. allowed to conduct business inside the Department of Buildings. So they're permitted to negotiate with the clerks, negotiate with the plan examiners, and negotiate with the inspectors. So you represent uh, someone who wants to do work in the city and therefore needs some kind of a permit, and therefore you you have to hire a licensed expediter uh, in order to represent you at the Department of Buildings, correct? Could you do it yourself? If I was just, if I was, you know, uh, a contractor, could I do it myself without an expediter, or do I have to have an expedited license just to represent myself? Well, the a contractor is not a licensed professional. For example, a licensed master plumber, a licensed oil burner mechanic, or a licensed fire suppression contractor are issued an identification, and they are mm-hmm. permitted to negotiate but a contractor is uh, not permitted to 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 uh, talk to any um, 
you know, plan examiners mm-hmm. or any uh, permit clerks. So, so before somebody starts doing the most common thing that I have interaction with expediters in New York is when a client of mine is going to buy an apartment and they want to do a major renovation. They want to do some work on the apartment afterwards. Uh, and you know, I always start with the presumption: don't assume anything in New York. You have to get the opinion of an expert. So at that point in time, we might bring in an expediter to sort of give an opinion on whether what the person wants to do is possible. Do you do a lot of that in your practice? Yes, correct. And that's a very good assumption is do not assume anything is legal. And just because your neighbor's property is identical to yours, <laughs> don't assume it's legal. Yeah, that, that's a because good point the, because people people assume that all the time, right? Well, yes. my neighbor did it, so therefore I can do it. Correct. Give me an example of something that uh, – well, l- let me let me give you an example and see what you think about it. I, I had a client who was told <laughs> by the broker that they were buying the uh, top floor apartment of a, of a small building in Brooklyn. And uh, they said, oh, well, you know, what's nice about that is you have all the rights to the roof and you can build, you know, a solarium on there. You could build an additional room on the roof. And I'm hearing all this when the client calls me. I'm like, whoa, whoa, wait a minute, wait a minute. First of all, I doubt very much if you could just go and build whatever you want on this roof. But, you know, they hadn't consulted an expediter or anything and they were hot to go to to sign this uh, contract. And when we consulted the, the expediter, I remember them just you know laughing out loud when they talked about all the things they wanted to do on this roof. But you know, some, someone who comes to you and says, "I, I want to buy this apartment and build all this stuff on the roof," what what is your first? What are you going to say to them? The first thing to do is have it uh, reviewed by a plan examiner, have plans prepared by an architect, and mm-hmm. the building department will issue a set of objections and inform you whether this project is legal or not. What what determines what you can build on, on an outdoor space? I mean, uh, you know, is if I just want to put, like, some decking on my outdoor space, do I need to get a permit for that? Okay, well, it depends on the material you're using. And, well, when you say an outdoor space, are you talking about a rear yard or Well, a let's say I have a terrace. A let's terrace. say I have a terrace in my apartment. Can I just put some decking on, or do I need to worry about what type of material I'm using and get a permit? Yes. It, you, it's best to put it on a set of plans, stamped by an architect or an engineer, and have it reviewed. For example, that, that material that you may be using, it, it may be combustible, and it may be mm-hmm. adjacent to a lot line, which could pose as a uh, you know a threat in, in terms of um, you know combustibility and spreading fire to your neighbor's property is is wood considered combustible is wood always banned as a as a decking material it's permitted but it has to be set back from the lot line so it it, it can't hug the uh, the side lot lines you have to set mm-hmm. it back you know a certain number of feet so, by the way, if you have a question for you or anything about real estate, you can call us at 866-970-9622, 866-970-9622. Let's talk about lot lines for a window, because uh, for a moment, because this is a uh, another sort of peculiarity, I think, of New York City real estate, <clears throat> because, uh, you know, real estate is so expensive that uh, you don't have the same kind of setbacks that you might have in the country. And a setback is uh, means that you, you can't build right up to 
the line between you and your neighbor's property. Generally, you have to set back your building, your so-called building envelope from the lot line. But here in New York City, where we build, sometimes have party wall agreements where one, two buildings are sharing uh, the same wall that's built on the lot line. So we have this concept of a lot line and what you can do close to a lot line and lot line windows, for example. So could you tell people generally what, what, what we're talking about with a lot line and a lot line window and what, what the implications are? Sure. A lot line window is not permitted for the specific reason is that if your neighbor decides to build up, that new construction can block the natural daylight and required ventilation for that habitable room. So you may have a very nice bedroom that's overlooking the East River mm-hmm. with you know, loads of daylight pouring into the room. And when the, your neighbor decides to build, that you lose your view, you lose your daylight, and you lose your ventilation, and the room is now not habitable. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's for this reason that the building department prohibits windows on lot lines. Well, or, I mean, prohibits you from keeping it if the building builds up, right? But, I mean, don't, don't, they, don't we see sometimes a, a, a building that's built, a new construction that has lot line windows, but then they tell the buyers that it is a lot line window, and if your neighbor builds up, you'll have to block it up? Well, okay, I, it's a good question. You may be permitted to, to have a lot line window, but it's not mm-hmm. recognized as a legal window. Each okay. each room is required to have, a, you know, let's say a 100-square-foot room is required to have 10, sque- 10 square feet of a window area. Right. Now, you could put a lot line window and make it 20 square feet, but it's not going to be recognized as a, uh, a, so, a legal. So from the bureaucrat's point of view, from the Department of Building's point of view, the lot line window doesn't exist for – purposes of determining whether or not you have enough uh, light into the room and whether or not, for example, you can call it a bedroom, right? Cause Correct. W- what, what, what makes something a bedroom in New York? Um, well, the dimensions of the room, first of all, it has to, be, okay. it has to meet the, the certain uh, footprint requirements. And secondly, um, it has to have, once again, natural daylight and mm-hmm. natural ventilation. Okay. So natural daylight could it be a skylight or does it have to be a, a window on the on a wall? The ventilation has to be uh, from a window on the wall. Okay, but the, but the but the light also has to come from a window on the wall. Correct. Okay, so if you have a room that only has a lot line window in it, then for purposes of the plan examiner, that window doesn't exist, and therefore you can't call it a bedroom, right? Correct. Okay, now. This issue actually comes up uh, fairly frequently in New York. What is a bedroom and what is not a bedroom? Because from the financing perspective, Ace is going to want to uh, know from the appraiser how many bedrooms are in the unit. And if one of the rooms uh, that they want to call a bedroom has only a lot line window, you cannot legally call that a bedroom. But nevertheless, the room exists. I mean, is the city going to come and knock on your door if you fall asleep in that room and call it a bedroom? I mean, what's the implications of referring it to as not a bedroom? Well, the only thing that uh, architects and engineers um, can say is once the plans are approved and the room is approved as a, a home office or mm-hmm. a study, 
you know, it's not our obligation to inf- to, to um, right. investigate the homeowner. Right. right. It's not a, it's not illegal to sleep in a home office. Mm-hmm. I don't think the city no. the city has better things to do with its time uh, than that. But you can't refer to it uh, for marketing or, or or for a bank loan application or any other purpose as a bedroom. Because New York City just doesn't recognize it as a bedroom if it doesn't meet those criteria. Um, what about uh, what about putting up temporary walls? You know, when I first moved to New York at the at the end of the nineteen eighties, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we'd have roommate situations, and a couple of guys would get together, mm-hmm. we'd rent an apartment, and then all four of us would we start putting up these temporary walls uh, and making little you know cubicle bedrooms out of it, and that's how we lived in New York back in the day. Those days are gone, right? Correct. Tell um, us why. What, what's, what are the implications if you want to put up a wall? Well, you, you could be creating a fire trap, number mm-hmm. one. Um, and secondly, uh, you could be endangering, um, you know, if, God forbid there's any sort of fire in the apartment, yeah. you could be blocking egress to the fire escape. Right. So you don't want to create a, a maze inside the apartment. Could, what what about a pressure wall? These things I've seen these advertised where uh, it it you know it's it's not a permanent installation, but nevertheless the wall is pressurized between the floor and the ceiling, so it looks like a wall, but you can qu- quite put it up and take it down easily. Are those allowed, or does that become a wall for well, apartment buildings? The, the the question to ask is whether it's a, a full height partition, meaning does it mm-hmm. go from the finished floor to the ceiling, or is there an air gap at the top of the wall. So suppose it's full height, it's but it's full. but it's not bolted in. It's just pressured in, you know, like a spring pressure-loaded thing. It's, it's no different than using uh, fastening it with, um, you know, deck screws. And, uh, right. It's it's a wall. It's so a wall. Numbers, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So if it if it goes from floor to ceiling, and you know whether you glue it in or bolt it in or nail it in, or use pressure or whatever. Floor to ceiling, it's a wall, and therefore it has to comply with the wall regulations. Correct. And, you know, I, it seems to me that what really kind of escalated the scrutiny of these interior walls was that horrible fire in the Bronx several years ago where exactly. I think two oh. firefighters lost their lives. That was really a tragedy. And, you know, the, the landlord had apparently permitted the tenant to carve it up into these little mini rooms that yeah. did not comply with anything. And the firefighters got disoriented in the in the smoke and and lost their life, yeah. and and rightfully so. The department, the fire department, said enough is enough. You know, I mean, these people are brave enough to go into a burning building, let alone you know have to worry about somebody carving it up into a maze. So, I you know I always caution people, <clears throat> particularly when I'm teaching the new brokers. Uh, the question from the client: Can I put a wall there? The answer is always I don't know, and then I refer them to somebody like you. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, or you know, a licensed architect, who somebody who is an expert in this area, who can tell you whether or not a wall would even be permissible in that spot, uh, and and so what's going to determine that? What? How are you going to figure out whether, assuming that the building otherwise would allow it, your apartment building would allow it? How are you going to determine whether a wall is legal to be put up there? What determines that? Um, the square footage of the room. That you're okay. going to. Um, what else? It, there would be, like, a natural daylight and ventilation. If you plan on using this as a quote-unquote habitable room, right. you would need the uh, natural daylight and ventilation. But is a home office a habitable room? 
habitable room means it's it, uh, you'd be sleeping. So okay, um, is it ha- habitable? Yeah, it's habitable because you know there is human occupancy, but right. it's not permitted. You know, you're not permitted to sleep in there. Okay, so it can't be used as a bedroom. So, so first of all, you can't make. You could make a closet, right? Now, this yeah. is another thing that we see in New York: is people will make put up walls and they'll call them closets, but really, what they're doing is they're using it as a room. That would be illegal to use it as, as a habitable room if you're building it as a closet, right? Correct. Yeah. So, you know, the message is before you go putting up any wall, um, consult an expert. Make sure that you talk to an expediter because there could be criminal implications. I mean, I think the yes. Bronx District Attorney uh, indicted the landlord and the tenant in that situation because of the loss of life. Because they knew very well that what they were doing was creating a, a fire hazard. And, and it is dangerous. It's dangerous for the person who's staying in the room, too, right? They might get disoriented and not, you know, see any uh, egress and... And all the way around, it can be a real mess, right? Yeah, it's no different than creating uh, an, an illegal cell or apartment. Right. What about certificates of occupancy? So this is a constant uh, issue in New York City where you know, we build buildings and, and oftentimes they'll have a temporary certificate of occupancy um, that stays in place for years and years and years. It gets rolled over before they get a final Tell us about that. Why, why is a developer doing that, getting these temporaries? What's the reason for that? Well, a temporary certificate of occupancy is issued when, when the building department feels that the building is safe to occupy. Mm-hmm. But there are some loose ends that haven't been addressed um, that would not pose as an imminent danger to life or property. Okay. So they give a temporary, usually lasts for 90 days, right? Yes, and it has to be renewed every year. But, but I see some of these that go on for years and years and years. Why, why is that happening? Well, the only thing I could tell you, um, I, I've never filed for a TCO. I, I like to button mm-hmm. it up right from the get-go. Right. Uh, I'm not sure how they're meandering through you know, the, um, the TCO. It's called a TCO. I'm mm-hmm. not sure how they meander for years. And, right. and operates a TCO, I would never recommend it. Yeah. Well, yeah, it seems to me that uh, one of the issues that we see in, in new construction is that <clears throat> I think if there's any building permit that's open, you can't convert to a final. So what happens is people start to occupy it. They start to do renovation. Mm-hmm. The building allows them to pull, pull a building permit. Mm-hmm. And that open building permit then prevents the building from getting the final. And then you just keep rolling it over and rolling it over and rolling it over as is I think what's happening in that situation. Correct. You, you've hit the nail on the head. How do you how do you determine whether somebody needs a building permit? I just did a renovation in my kitchen in New York City, and you know, I mean, I lived this business day in and day out, and it was not obvious to me. And frankly, the contractors weren't particularly helpful in telling me whether they needed a permit. What determines whether you need a permit for something you want to do? And that's a cliffhanger because we have the music coming up. So. Um, ponder that thought. We'll talk about sure. after the break what, what, what determines whether you need a permit and whether you have to go to the Department of Buildings and get permission to do the work that you're planning to do. So if you can hold over to the next segment, Hugh, that would be great. Sure, we have Jerry. a bunch of questions, and I know that there's some callers with questions, 866-970-9622. If you want to call in and talk, this is Jerry Feeney with Ace Watana Supark sitting in for Dottie Herman. This is Ion Real Estate, and we'll be right back after this message.
It's I on Real Estate. Got a question? Call 866-970-9622. Here's Douglas Elements CEO, Dottie Herman. Good morning, and we're back. This is Jerry Feeney sitting in for Dottie Herman, who's away this week, but she'll be back next week. This is I on Real Estate. I'm here with my co-host, Ace Watana-Suparp, and we're talking to Hugh Chrysler about Department of Buildings and expediting and getting permits in New York City and the whole building process and renovating process, which, frankly, if you're an apartment or co-op owner in New York City and you own your apartment for more than a couple of years, chances are you're going to want to do some kind of a renovation. So, uh, Hugh, before the break, I was asking you, how do you determine if you're doing a renovation whether you need to get a permit for the work that you're going to do? What defines that? Well, the first thing uh, one a homeowner should do before determining whether you need a permit is yeah, the Department of Buildings website is very mm-hmm. helpful, and there's a lot of information that will tell you w- where to start. Okay. Um, that's the first thing you should do. But in terms of uh, getting a permit, you have to ask yourself a question. Am I, am I doing any licensed trade work, such as plumbing work, electrical work, uh, air conditioning work? Mm-hmm. You know, usually when, when you're doing licensed trade work, it's, there's a pretty good chance you need a permit. And some of these permits are just a single page with a, with a plumber's signature. Okay. And there's some work that will require a set of plans. So. All right, so let's go through some examples. So, <clears throat> by the way, not to be confused with licensed contractors, many municipalities mm-hmm. license contractors. New York City does license contractors, but that does not mean it's licensed trade work. What we're talking about there are, <clears throat> you know, the trades like plumbing, for example, uh, also known as a, a license to print money, if you've ever hired a plumber in New York City. Um, the uh, a licensed master plumber in New York City takes a long time to get, and they're very experienced. And these are the people that handle uh, all of the you know water inflow and outflow, sewage inflow and outflow, and also natural gas, which is an important part of New York City living. Um, so that's a, that's a type of licensed trade work. So let me give you some examples. Suppose I want to uh, just hire somebody to paint my kitchen, uh, and I'm going to hire somebody to do that. Do I, do I need to get a permit for that? No. Okay. Are so, you are you affecting structural stability of No, the, no. Yeah, yeah then I'm just, just going to paint. Then the uh, you know, of course painting is not affecting structural stability, so uh no you Okay. Wouldn't. Okay. So now but now I want to do a renovation of my kitchen. I'm going to demo the existing kitchen, rip out the cabinets and the existing appliances and install a new kitchen, uh update the appliances, but I'm not going to make any change to the electrical and i'm not going to make any change to the plumbing and so do i need a permit for that no if you're about the demo do we need a demo permit demolition no no demolition permit to uh, to change cabinets or to replace a sink if you're reconfiguring Mm -hmm. if you're moving the oven to the other side of the kitchen and putting the sink on the against the wall or as soon as you start reconfiguring uh plumbing Right. Gas lines, that's when you need a permit. Okay. So reconfiguring means I'm moving either a water line or I'm moving a gas line. That's reconfiguring, and then I need a permit. Okay. Correct. So now so now we move to the next step. I'm not just going to update my kitchen, but uh, I'm going to move the sink location, and I am also want to cap the gas line because I want to change 
my cooking to like induction cooking and get, and get rid of the gas line. What permits am I going to need for that? Okay, you're definitely going to need a licensed electri- electrician's permit. Mm-hmm. Okay, because uh, there's also, you know, in terms of counter space, you're going to need a certain amount of outlets. And these okay. outlets have to be, you know, they're called GF, GFI outlets. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yes, you would definitely need uh, – So the electrician has to sign off on the on the electrical because correct. we're increasing the counter space, and that requires a certain number of outlets. They have to be GFI. So, they, so I need to bring in a licensed New York City electrician. Who else do I need to bring in? Licensed master plumber to cap and remove a, mm-hmm. a fixture. Okay. Cap and remove the gas. Correct. This is, this is really important for people to realize. I'm always amazed mm-hmm. when I hear stories of – People who are non-licensed professionals who are messing with gas lines. Uh, first of all, you can kill people very easily by doing this, um, and and you'll be indicted and, and you'll go to prison for doing it because it's 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 not funny. You know, there was that horrible fire on the Lower East Side where I think it was determined that a, a non-licensed plumber had tapped into a natural gas line and you know just just vaporized uh, the building. Um, two buildings. This is really, really. Da- I'm sorry. Two buildings fell. Two buildings. Yeah. I mean, really dangerous stuff. Licensed plumbers are the ones that handle natural gas um, in this city, and you have to hire. You have to get a permit before you do that, because you also can't just. You know, they can't just sort of cap off a line. I learned. I learned all about this because I just assumed that. Oh, I'll just cap off that line, and I'll be able to build over it. Well. Turns out they'd have to do all kinds of pressure testing and all of that, so we just left the line as it exists and built around it. But so you need a licensed plumber in that situation. Do I need a licensed architect involved to sign off on the plans? Yes, as soon as you start reconfiguring the uh, the kitchen, yes, you would need a licensed architect to prepare plans. Okay, that's reconfiguring, meaning moving uh, appliances, moving appliances around, things like that. But if all I'm doing is is um, moving the sink? Do I need a licensed architect as well as the licensed plumber? Moving the sink. That's a good question. Um, If you hired a master plumber to file what's called an LAA, which is a limited alteration application, it's a $100 fee, and it's processed online, that's the best bet is is to hire a master plumber to, to move the sink. How long does it take to get these these permits approved when they submit them? Oh, Assuming the, that it's something simple like this, uh, they're done electronically now, and it can be done inside mm-hmm. of twenty four hours. Okay, so now when do I need to get the expediter involved? What, what stage do you, do does does your service as an expediter come into play? Uh, as soon as you bring in the uh, an architect, mm-hmm. um, that, that's when you'll need someone to physically bring all the documents and the plans to the building department. Okay, so unless it's one of these uh, electronic filings that the master plumber or the master electrician can do, right? Correct. Then you need the expediter to come in and help guide the architect's plans through the Department of Buildings. Correct. Okay, so it's really kind of the scope of the work that's that's going to dictate this. Correct. One of the things I see a lot in, in my practice representing buyers and sellers um, is that we'll be buying an apartment, and part of what we do is look on the Department of Buildings uh, building information search website to see what permits have been issued and whether they're connected to the apartment. By the way, you know that system is 
is helpful, but it's rather archaic. It would be nice if they would track by the apartment number, not just by the floor number, but that's just an aside. Um, but we see sometimes those open permits. So the seller did some work or the seller's predecessor did some work, got a permit. It was approved, but it's sitting there after years in approved status. What does that mean and, and what, what can you do to fix that? Well, that means that the application has to be reinstated. What do you mean reinstated? It's Re- still in approved status. It's it, expired, it, you mean? It's, it expires. After 24 months, the, okay. if there's no action, the building department will view it as you know, dormant. Okay. So the first thing they want is a fee. So mm-hmm. that, that's <laughs> Shocking. Yeah. yeah. So number one, you have to pay your, your, your building department a fee schedule. Again, mm-hmm. and then the permits have to be renewed. So okay. you, now you need your, your licensed architect or engineer mm-hmm. to step mm-hmm. back into the picture. And if he's still, if he's not around, you have to pay another architect to step in. Mm-hmm. And then the permits have the licensed trades have to step in and renew the permits. And now the so, the, the sign off process begins. So, if the work was done, um, but these these licensed professionals didn't complete the sign-off process. My experience is sometimes I have to chase them around to get them to do that. Shouldn't there be some implication of that? I mean, if they were a licensed master plumber and they opened the permit and they did the work, but they never did the sign-off process on it to get it completed to a, a signed-off status, shouldn't they have some obligation to come back and do it? Because I yes, those regulations are, uh, are getting tighter and tighter, but. Mm-hmm. The problem is, is there's finger pointing between who's oh. <laughs> who's holding up the show. Is it the plumber? Well, the plumber says, "Well, I can't move forward till the plans are amended." Yeah, and then the architect says, "I can't get a, I can't amend the plans till the homeowner pays me my fees to yes. amend the plan." Yes. And it becomes uh, you know, there's a lot of finger pointing. Oh, the the practice of finger pointing in the contracting business. Yeah. Uh, has gone to a, a new level of height. Uh, yeah. What I generally do in these circumstances is I put everybody on the same phone call. I do a conference call, and I get everybody on the same phone call, and then as a lawyer I say the following. Uh, I'm not sure whose job it is to close out this permit, but I'll tell you whose job it's not. It's not mine, and it's not my client's. So you guys sit on the phone and all decide who's going to close out this permit, what you have to do, and then let us know. Because collectively, it was your job, not ours. And you know, to me, there should be some... Some more regulation. I'm glad to hear it's it's tightening because a lot of homeowners, apartment owners, don't realize. You know, they go to sell their apartment. They did a beautiful renovation several years ago. They got all the permits. They did what they were supposed to do, but they the, the licensed professionals never closed them out, and they're sitting there. And you can't just withdraw it, right? Because you already did no. the work. Well, you could withdraw it, but then you'd have to rip out the the new plumbing and yeah. restore the legal condition. Right. And sometimes it's cheaper to do it that way. And. And, well, there's the – do you have time to hang on? I don't mean to keep you all day. Uh, Hugh, no problem. You know, sure, you're right. happy to answer a uh, few questions. We're, we're going to come up on our uh, break. We'll be back in a moment. This is Iron Real Estate, which is the only talk radio show that talks about real estate and everything having to do with real estate. It's Jerry Feeney sitting in for Donnie Herman, and we're talking to Hugh Chrysler. We'll be back right after the break and continue talking about what you need a permit for and some of the other problems that come along in the contracting and – alteration process. We'll be right back.
Richard's Eye on Real Estate. Got a question? Call 866-970-9622. Here's Douglas Elements CEO, Dottie Herman. We're back. Good morning. It's Jerry Finney sitting in for Dottie Herman, who's away this week. This is Eye on this is Zion Real Estate, uh, and we're talking to Hugh Chrysler, who's a, a engineer and expediter in New York City, talking about the building process in New York City and expediting process. But uh, we have a caller who's been waiting patiently, and so I want to get to the call, Pat from Stun. Oh, Pat, we lost your call back. I was just about to get to you. Um, but Hugh, I wanted to ask you before um, before the break, we were talking about you know permits and what happens if you don't get a permit uh, closed out. What happens if the work that was done, uh, I had a situation where it was a central air conditioning system that was installed, permit was never closed, that was 10 years ago. Uh, the, electro, the electrician who had filed the permit was no longer in business, had retired. No other electrician wanted to come in and work on it. And by the way, the air conditioning system that was installed 10 years ago was no longer met current energy standards and therefore... They were telling my client they had to rip it out. What, what 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 do you do in that situation? It was a bit of a mess. Well, in terms of the air, um, it sh- the building department should honor the the, the two thousand. It was ten years ago. It would have been the either mm-hmm. the sixty eight code or the um, could have been the two thousand seven code. So the building department sometimes they will honor and the code in which it was mm-hmm. filed as opposed and, and grandfather the equipment. What if the permit had never been pulled? They did the work without the permit at all. Uh, and now you want to go back and quote, legalize that work. Uh, that's a, that's a unique situation. Um, but people do it all the time. I mean, yeah. I see it all the time where people don't pull permits and then we got to clean up the mess later on. Does the work that was done, 10 years ago, if it was to code when it was done, but it was done without a permit, are they going to allow that? Or does it have to meet current day code? You know, I, it's really up to the, uh, the examiner that's reinstating the job. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's ambiguous. You know, but this wouldn't be a reinstatement. This is a brand new permit because they never pulled the permit to begin with. They just went ahead and did the work. Okay. So this is an HVAC unit, correct? Yeah. yeah. Okay, so it probably didn't have the se- the seasonal energy efficiency mm-hmm. ratio. Okay, so SEER, I think it's about uh, 13. It was probably a SEER 10 or 11. So, you know, between you and I, is it a life-threatening uh, mm-hmm. situation? No. The, yeah, mm-hmm. Some architects uh, may look the other way. Mm-hmm. All right, so... Uh, Hugh, Pat is back on from Sentinel. We lost him a minute ago. Pat, you had a question for uh, Hugh. Yeah, turn the turn the radio down in the background. Pat, go ahead with your question. Hello, Pat. Hello. Yeah, go ahead, Pat. Hi. Go good, ahead. Af- good afternoon. Good morning. Good morning. What's your question? Uh, I have a question. I was just curious to find out. Uh, I'm in Staten Island, and I was wondering, do you need permits, and what kind of permits you need if you wanted to put a pool in or add a deck to the backyard? All right, so let's go one at a time. So in-ground pool? Uh, yeah. In-ground pool, Staten Island. Do you need a permit for that? Yes. Okay. And what about okay, and a have, deck in the back? How about an outside deck? If you want to add on something on the outside deck of your house. Okay, so this and is... And how far it has to be, again, from, from the retaining, from the wall of next to the neighbor, the property line. 
Okay, so I'm assuming this is a, a one-family home in Staten yes. Island. Yes. The, it, well, it depends on the material that you propose to use for the deck. Um, if it's wood and it's combustible, it has to be set back five feet mm-hmm. from the property uh-huh. lines. And you're permitted to project eight feet into the rear yard. Okay. And it also de- permit to- yes. And it also depends how high is this deck above grade? Above, uh, above, above. Well, off the ground, about maybe oh, three oh. three feet. Yes, so this definitely will require uh, plans prepared by an architect and submitted to the building department. All right, so let's go through this for a second. So you have a backyard, and you want to put just some decking right on on top of the existing dirt to make a little, you know, sort of sitting area. Yeah, but there was... Uh, no, there hold was, on. Hold, hold on, Pat. This is not I'm necessarily sorry. your situation. I just want to, I'm just asking a hypothetical. So in that situation, if it's not off of the ground, but it's, you know, kind of sitting on the dirt and you're using, you know, plastic composite or something like that, would you need a permit for that, Hugh? No. But what was the setback requirements? Okay. Uh, you're permitted to project into the rear yard mm-hmm. towards the rear lot line, eight feet. Mm-hmm. Eight feet from the rear from the building line. line. Okay, from the so building build, line. Correct. So you can build uh, out into the backyard up to eight feet from the building envelope. Correct. Okay, and then if it's combustible, there's another regulation then that says the you side. can, you can side only go door. five feet to the to the to the house next to you or to the well, uh, to the lot next to you. Well, I take does does your house does your house have um, side yards? Are you are you, are you sitting? Oh uh, right? yes, yes, it has a side yard yeah, so about, a, uh, about four feet, maybe five feet. Okay, then you, you may have met the uh, requirements. Maybe so yeah, you'd have five to five feet. Yeah, but usually, if you're if you're hiring a pool contractor to install the pool, and they operate in Staten, they'll know. Uh, certainly with respect to the installation of the pool, what permits need to be pulled. Have you started to to price them out and talk to pool manufacturers yet? Or uh, no, it was just something I needed to get information first before I even go yeah. there, just so I yeah. know what, I, you know, what yeah. to deal with. Yeah, I think you're definitely going to need permits, at least for the pool, and probably you'll do the project in one fell swoop, so the, uh, um, you know, get permits for both of them. All right, Pat? Okay, thank you so much. All right, thank you. It was okay. a good question. I- um, Hugh, when do you need to <clears throat> uh, when do you need to worry about amending the certificate of occupancy uh, on the building? If you're doing work in in your building, an alteration of you're going to need to uh, update the certificate of occupancy. Okay, well, is this regarding Pat's the previous call? No, no, Pat? no, no, no. Okay. New, new issue, just okay. in general. Okay, so your certificate you'd have to ask yourself this question. You'd have to get a copy of your C of O. Mm-hmm. Okay, now let and the CFO is going to tell you what is permitted to be um, used in the cellar, for example. Mm-hmm. The cellar, you're permitted a boiler room, mm-hmm. an accessory storage, and possibly parking for one car. Mm-hmm. Okay, if you plan on using the cellar for any other reason stated on that CFO, mm-hmm. then you're going to have to amend the CFO. What's the difference between a cellar and a basement? A, a cellar is more below grade. More, all uh, below grade? Well, not necessarily all, but okay. a good b- 
portion of it, at, at least uh, half is below grade or, or the curb line. Okay. And what defines a basement? A basement means more than half or at least half is above the curb. Okay. I see. All the right. curb is the magic line. I see. And and what about when, whenever I hear um, somebody's buying uh, a house and there's a bathroom in the basement or the cellar, I, it always makes me pause and wonder, is it legal? Is it is it possible to legally install a bathroom or a, a bedroom in a basement or a cellar? Well, c- cellar, abs- absolutely not. Could you put a bedroom in? Okay. Never. Okay. Never. Okay. You you would be permitted to install a three-piece bath. What do you mean by a three-piece bath? Toilet, sink, and shower. Okay. But not a tub? Or or a tub. Okay. All right. So you could you could legally put a, a bathroom in a cellar, but never a bedroom? No. Okay. But a basement, could you put a bedroom in, even though you're partially below grade? You could. It is possible to put mm-hmm. in a bedroom and a bathroom, mm-hmm. but now right. you, you've, you're talking about amending a CFO. Okay, I see. Because so a normal you, CFO is not going to have so th- that, that 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 is that that's what constitutes a dwelling unit, mm-hmm. a legal about, dwelling unit. Okay, what about this issue of two kitchens in the same residential unit, which we see? From time to time, what's the what is the problem? Why is the city so obsessed with two kitchens in the same residential unit? I've never come across a scenario like that. Well, what happens sometimes is where you have uh, somebody's combining two apartments into one. Yeah, and maybe it's more the bank that wants the second kitchen removed. But my understanding is that the 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 city won't sign off on the combination until uh, you know you poke a hole in the wall between the two apartments and you remove one of the kitchens. Are you not allowed legally to have two kitchens in the same uh, residential unit? I've never come across a scenario like that. Uh, mm-hmm. One thing I, I can tell you is that once you have cooking uh, mm-hmm. facility, and it, it approaches what's called a, a Class A dwelling unit, right. which means it's rentable. Okay. Or, and um, they're trying to avoid uh, renting illegally. And that sets up a perfect scenario right. where you could rent it out yeah. illegally. And I think that's what's uh, I think that's what they're concerned about. And and Ace, I don't know from the banking perspective, why, why are the banks? I always uh, hear they're obsessed with you know not finding two kitchens at the same residential unit. Is that what they're worried about too? Is that you're going to really be setting it up as a rental unit? Yes. That. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um. Okay. So uh, what? It, oh. Boy, time flies. Amazing. Hugh, I'm sorry to keep you so long, but I, I thought it was a really interesting discussion. I really uh, learned a lot from it, and I appreciate you taking time to educate our listeners. and My pleasure. And uh, if you want to reach Hugh, because he is an expert, uh, you can give him a call at 718-545-8659. That's 718-545-8659. Or email us at radioshow at element.com, and I'll be happy to put you in touch with Hugh Chrysler, who's an expert in expediting, and he's also an engineer, uh, and he's an all-around smart guy. If so you don't know what to been, do, talk to Hugh. There, oh, wow, that's good. Did you just make that up, or is that, you had that one for a while? Okay. <laughs> Ace, we need a slogan. Uh, keep up we the do. pace. Made you laugh. Ace. Okay. 
this is I in Real Estate and uh, Jerry Fee with Ace Watana Suparp, filling in for Dottie Herman, who's away, but she'll be back next week. This is the only talk show on radio that talks about real estate and everything having to do with real estate. We'll see you next week. Thank you, Jerry. Eye on Real Estate with Dottie Herman is sponsored by Citizens Bank N.A. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.